Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. some weird ones in the past, but that should never stop us from wanting it, yes? And and the Lord just showing up and blessing us as a church body. We're on a study of Romans, and, uh, and I just want to say as we begin this morning, here we come to it. We are at Romans 6, and Romans 6 is like this... Uh, if you will, it's the line drawn in the sand of Paul's gospel, of the gospel that he preached, of what he called in Acts 22, the gospel of grace. And he drew the line sharply and uh, adamantly because of accusations. Remember, I've tried to always give you the historical background here because of accusations that were following actually his ministry, his church planting ministry, in which he was probably, uh, other than, than uh, Barnabas, who, you know, Silas, who was probably being more prolific, if you will, in church planting than any of the other apostles that were being released to go out and preach the good news. And one, he had a charge to preach to the Gentiles. So he was going to places, a lot of times, you know, if a, if a synagogue was there, he would go to the synagogue first because that was the charge from the church leaders, go, go, go to, uh, I don't mean this in any demeaning way, go to the Jews first. And then he would go to the Gentiles, but he lived among Gentiles, he had a direct revelation from God that that was his calling, that didn't ha- it wasn't just one revelation. Most theologians believe that the time that he spent, some say 13, some say 14, but those years in the desert in Damascus, that actually that's how God was, what God was forming inside of him. And that actually the book of Romans is what came out of that. I mean, God just unloading to him what the cross meant. So if you ever hear the term, Pauline revelation, the revelation of Pauline, and uh, am I talking about theology? Don't shut your ears down. Yes, I am. Uh, The Pauline revelation was what happened at, with, before, and after the cross, and what the new covenant was. That's the Pauline revelation. He was able to connect the dots, and so he does that for this church because um, of the things that were going around and being said about him personally. He was being attacked over his message and saying, well, yes, he's a good guy, but he's not completely right. Now, we'd like to think, and we like to sanitize church history because we're the church, and like the saying goes, nobody wants their dirty clothing hung out. Uh, The church started arguing just about from day one. And it wasn't always nice. Uh, 
Paul and Barnabas, who were best buds, labored together for a long time and then argued. So is arguing bad? Well, arguing is. You know, they had different points of view. They kept loving each other. It had to do with relationships and doctrine, that kind of stuff. But we've really come to a crux now in what he's trying to get across to this church. So I want to start here right in Romans 6 and read it to you. And then explore, not just what it's saying, but I really want to, here's what's strange, like I gave an introduction to Romans. Romans 6 needs an introduction because of the way that we have been taught. So here's Romans 6, the first, uh, yeah, I got the first four verses up there for you. So, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What are the next two words? Okay, now, in the authorized version, that means the old King James, it says, God forbid. The word God never appeared in the original manuscript there. They wanted to emphasize a point, and so they're saying, God forbids it, which immediately put it into what? So, the new editors, when the new King James came out, and the other translations which had translated it correctly, it should be either certainly not or may it never be is actually a better translation um, because may it never be actually means that's unthinkable. That means it's, it's insane to think that. You're not thinking correctly because the, the noun form of the word sin, and this is where he comes to it, you know, should we continue in sin, the very word, noun, sin, is the English word, surd. Okay? That's where we get words like absurd. When, if you ever heard the literary term, theater of the absurd? Okay. Uh, Clockwork Orange, anybody know that, that writing? No? Oh, okay. Uh, let's see, what else is uh, It's very macabre. It's very, it's, it's, they start showing, they start writing about, Things that are just unthinkable. It's like, that doesn't make sense. That's a, now, that takes in a lot of films today, doesn't it? Also takes in a lot of writing. That's nonsensical. That's what this is saying. Is This is unthinkable. This is absurd. This is like, how could, how could you connect that what in, when I said that great, wherever sin is, grace abounds more, that I'm saying... Do whatever you want. So it's going, certainly not. And then he goes on. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into his death. You died. Christ died. You died. Christ was buried. You were buried. That just as Christ, now listen to this. Here's the glorious part. We'd never add this part. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. 
it took a miracle in Christ being raised from the dead. Yes, all of us would agree. Any disagreements about that? That was an absolute miracle. Somebody's dead and he comes back to life. He's saying this about you in the same way you died and you have come back to life. You've been resurrected. Not in your body, in your spirit. So he's getting, Paul's working a thing here in which he can get people to understand that he's talking about actually not about the power of sin and what it can do, but the power of God in the spirit in a new life. You're actually a walking miracle. We love it when the kids think about it, you know. I am a potentiality, you know, a big, big ball of, you know. And we love it. We love children to do that. But an adult shouldn't do that because they know what they're really like. Yes? You shouldn't really glory in your new life. Why? He's getting to the crutch to things. So, here's what happens. Ages and ages and ages of the church move on. Okay? We get this teaching. Uh, when we finally move into Bibles being printed in the 14th century, now we start looking at and people start forming and people start getting ideas and they actually start reading a Bible on their own. Like uh, Gutenberg was incredible. That was such, that was such an incredible move because you didn't even have the wherewithal to carry a personal Bible around before that. Carrying a Bible around meant a trailer, a cart, being pulled by animals, loaded to the top of it. When the printing press comes along, listen, it was a game changer. That's why they coincide. That's why you see the, the coinciding of history, that everything being, begins to change. Because not only was the Bible now able to be put in a compact thing, it's put in common language. It's taken out of the Latin, so now other people can read it and actually read what it has to say. I had good things, bad things. Keep going through history. So Paul's writing a, a, a historical account, if you will, of how he formed his theology to the Roman church. Now other people are reading it. Through the years, people have this tendency we like to divide the Bible. That's why we put in chapters and verses. We like to package it to help us understand it. We are Sheldon Cooper. We, we you know, even down to the point, Penny, Penny, Penny. He has to knock three times before it's okay. Yeah, we've been like that. And so the church has commonly divided the book of Romans into these very neat outlines. This is not neat. But we like it that way so that we can explain it to ourselves and we can try and grasp the understanding. So here's the way it goes. Chapters 1 through 5 is about justification. That's what we, we looked at a whole long
Romans 5, the climax of justification by faith. Chapters 6 through 8, the church has decided that that's about sanctification, not telling people there are different doctrinal views regarding sanctification and what it means. When you, so we, we start engaging in terms like, I've been sanctified, I've been this, or I'm being sanctified, without, most people, just you and I, most people just really don't, haven't taken the time to really find out what that means, to be sanctified. And we've actually turned the word sanctified into a sanctified word. So we have made sanctified become the word growing in holiness. Or you'll hear terms like growing in Christ-likeness. Heard those terms? And what it is is that means it's embracing a doctrinal understanding of a thing that's called progressive sanctification, which means you're becoming more like, you're growing in holiness, and it's made it move literally from an innie and outie to a grading on a curve. And it's actually, now some don't, some do, but I just want to paint a clear picture for you, the engaging of what maturity is. But instead of saying it, I'm maturing in my understanding, we like to be thought of as holy. Flameless people, we're, we're that until we're together and we're taught to confess prayers that we're really not, and would God please forgive us? Yes? You tracking with me? Do you believe you're holy right now? If you've been with me for a while, you probably do. Okay, chapters 9 through 11, just to finish this out, deal with the issue of Judaism in sanctification and in salvation. What part the Jew... Now remember, this church that he's writing to is made up of Gentile believers and Jewish believers. Were there conflicts? You better believe there were conflicts. There were also... We'll get to it in a minute why these there were greater conflicts. Now, chapters 12 through 16, it's always labeled out this way. These are the practical exhortations and applications of what Paul has written. That's because they didn't know what to call those. And so they just used big words in an outline so that you could understand it clearly and simply. There's a whole lot more in all of that. And especially about speaking to the human hearts of how to be at peace with people that you don't really care for. Practical application? Yes, yeah, I guess that's a practical application. The problem with reading it that way is it's really, really dependent on a view of progressive sanctification rather than using good, if you will, I don't always use this, good rules of interpretation in looking at the Bible and of always being guided by the words that are before you. That's one of the first, if you if you ever been to a Bible college or anything, you get into hermeneutics, one of the first things that they will tell you is the word says what it says. 
it's, it's there and it's speaking to your heart. So that's one of the first rules. So I want to encourage you, when you get, especially when you get into Romans 6, slow down, read it real slow, throw away an outline that you were taught about what it's saying, and listen to what it's saying to you. Listen to what Romans is saying into your heart. Imagine, if you will, you're making me like do imagination stuff. Yes! It's good for you. It won't hurt you. Imagine Paul speaking in your English, whatever that is, even if it's very, very young modern English, which I don't completely get, though I still like words like cool. Um, imagine Paul sitting there with you. You've just got done hearing what he said in Romans 5 that wherever sin abounds, grace abounds more, and your thoughts are like, oh, I can do whatever I want. And the first thing he knows is, certainly not. He's speaking something to our hearts. Imagine him speaking it to you, of walking through your questions. That's how the word is, that's really what it's there for. Speak to my heart about the questions I have. I read this stuff, and listen, I have never found the Bible confusing. I have found it very perplexing. Confused means to be stuck between two points. Perplexing means, I'm not sure I understand what they're saying there. And I've been perplexed many times by many of the different writers, including Paul. Peter did too. Peter in referring, now you can remember, we're going we're gonna to get there in our introduction here. Peter and Paul have a blow up in Antioch. It's found in Acts 15. Over this very issue and over legalism. They have a disagreement that goes all the way back to eventually Paul has to go back to Jerusalem and they have a meeting about it and the early church leaders kind of decide what it means to walk in Paul's gospel. Now can you imagine the humility that he had to have to go listen to other people who weren't around when he spent 14 years on the backside of a desert and the Holy Spirit visiting with him including probably taking him to heaven including telling him what happened on the night the Lord was betrayed because he wasn't there. And he's the one that gives the teaching on how to take Holy Communion. Now he's got all this directly from the Lord. This is like you're sure in your heart. God's spoken it to you directly. He's shown you what it means. And you're explaining it to people who go, no, 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 no. You killed a bunch of people. You're a murderer. And you're out preaching? Who the heck do you think you are? And he's submitting himself to people over this. So this is a, you know, I know I'm creating kind of a uh, tension. There was a tension there that if you don't embrace it, you're not going to hear what it says well in Romans 6. And one of the best ways to, when, whenever you get to Romans 6 and you get in those first few, uh, first few verses, that's a tongue twister, 
go back and read Romans 5 again and then read Romans 6. Don't read it separately. It's the best thing you can do is go, whoa, if there's something in Romans 6 you don't understand, jump back a chapter and read it within the context of what he's saying. Because in it, and uh, we're not going to go there completely this morning, we just will not have time. Paul is asserting that our justification guarantees our final redemption in the fullest sense. You are saved, you are justified, but you're not being justified. You, and this is the language is used, you have been justified. And there is. For, for all of you who are, aren't able to do this, and I, I don't know classical Greek, and I don't know biblical Greek, I haven't taken classes on it, but I have studied it a lot and embraced it from an English point of view. They have six tenses, not four. And there's a very important concept here in the translation into English, and that's this. There is a tense... So we have past, present, future, future perfect, right? They have two others, and one of them is called aorist. The aorist tense means now forever. That's what Romans 6 is being written in. It's in the aorist tense, now forever. It's like... Do you, have, have you ever heard the language that Prince Joseph used at the end of the American Indian Wars, the Native American Wars in America, when they signed the peace? Yep. We will make war no more forever. That's in the Aorist tense. There's no way of going back. And so the Aorist is now forever. But here's the difficulty with forever. Forever goes into the past. You have to harness that understanding to grasp the, not the volatility that's written here, not the, but the holy buckets. So when it says, you have died with Christ, that means you're dead now forever. been taught to kill yourself daily, right? How you kill something that's already dead? Being taught to crucify your flesh, have you ever tried to think out the image of that? Here, I'll show it to you. to make as being somehow possible for us and in actuality and we're going to get into this it's unthinkable for us this depends a lot on whether you're thinking sanely now are you saying we're crazy I was a little crazy I was a little frantic I was a little 
perplexed. If you are justified by faith, you can be assured of your ultimate salvation. And he's going to carry on chapter 6 through 8 to tell you why. If you are justified, you can be assured of your being sanctified. For the same reason. And if you are assured of being sanctified, you are being assured that you are glorified. Well, glory, church. Can you see yourself glorified? Can you see yourself raised from the dead? Can you see yourself the way Christ sees you? That's what he's actually writing here. How do you look at you? Now, this is God looking down, telling, trying to get us to look. This is Paul writing this, saying, Look, you have to understand this. You're thinking something pitiful that means you're thinking you can do whatever you want now? Certainly not. You're glorified. That's insanity. love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He said, we are in Christ, and because we are in Christ, all that belongs to him become ours, so we might reign in life. What's given to us in these chapters is the ability and the access not to do equations, but to live in our new identity. To live now, instead of crucifying the flesh daily, to live in glorification daily. Because one will lead to futility, the other will lead to maturity. You will be dramatically changed. You, you will start to embrace the change. What do you believe about yourself? I heard one believer this morning say, well, I don't see myself as a sinner anymore. That's what Paul's trying to get across to you. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. Can the saint sin? Yes, but that doesn't make them a sinner. You're using faulty equations. I can make a mistake. I probably will. I know me. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've even had some failures. I didn't learn from some of my mistakes. But that didn't make me the mistake. You see where the equation gets off? I'm not the thing I did. The thing I did, we'll get to Romans 7, was completely outside of the realm I was thinking. Because, and I find this strange thing happen. That which I want to do, I sometimes don't do. And that which I don't want to do... But then we never read the next few verses. What hope is there for me then? Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift in that he created the aorist tense. <laughs> he lived it. He died it and lived it. Thanks be to God for his salvation. That's how Romans 7 ends, and then Romans 8 goes into, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
there's a way through this? I can reign with this? Yeah, I didn't reign very well with the other way. Well, there were a lot of good Christians that wanted to help me crucify my flesh. So, when we approach chapter 6, it's not a template on how to become a better you. God did not come here to make a better you. The Holy Spirit is not at work in your life to make you a better person. The Holy Spirit came into your life to be a totally new person. To have, if you will, imagine this. God as an incorruptible seed. Remember, he was planted in the earth. You use your imagery here. This is Paul preaching. God was an incorruptible seed that was placed into the ground. And when the seed came up, it gave life to everything else. That same seed, which was Christ, is planted in you. This is what Watchman Nee taught. They've turned Watchman Nee into legalism. Watchman Nee got this. He talked about, he said, the incorruptible seed that made me the incandescent man. <laughs> Glorious. God's been planted inside of me. Now I'll go sin. Really? No, you won't. No, you won't. And if you do, it won't feel good either. It won't feel like you because there is an incorruptible seed inside of you that is growing and developing and is and will bear fruit. Is he bearing fruits of repentance? I hope not. I hope he's bearing a fruit of the Spirit. This is explosive when you start getting, when you get a hold of the idea of what Christ really did. It's, it, maturing, listen, the chiefs aren't on, so, so you can spend a couple more minutes with me. Maturing is not learning to sin less. I was taught my whole, so much in my Christianity that I was growing the less I sinned. That is not maturing. Those who are learning to stand in the new creation that God made them and the new identity you received in Christ, when you start professing that, you start claiming that as your true identity, you will grow. You're watering it. You're nurturing it. When you read Romans 6 and believe it's true about you, guess what happens? Truth about you. I don't sin less today because I'm being sanctified. I sin less today because it's unthinkable. That's just not who I am. That's not who God made me to be. You saying you're sinless? No, but I'm saying for the first time these past nine years, I have grown leaps and bounds and stuff that I used to have to try and battle and fight don't mean anything anymore. I don't care. Well, it's because you're old. No, it's not. I don't care. I, I don't care about those things. They don't mean two twiddlies to me. They were twiddlies once. Those things don't matter. Christ is in me. 
hope of glory. It means I'm glorious. That means when I get up in the morning and look at myself, and man, I get in the mirror and I look, first of all, my, my long hair now is like really going every place. So I look like I need three cups of coffee before I ever do. I look in that mirror. Oh, and try this. Try this tomorrow. Look in the mirror and go, glorious. You are stunningly glorious. You bear the image of Christ this day. Stop going, ooh. Stop it. There's another new wrinkle. Old things will pass away. And that's the flesh. But listen, my spirit man is so strong and mighty to the overcoming, to the pulling down of the strongholds that try to get me to live in the old man. Instead of trying to pull the strongholds my, down myself now, I move into what God says about the new man in me. And those old strongholds, those orphan mentality strongholds, I'm not an orphan, and I really was. I was an adult orphan. By the time I was in my mid-20s, both parents died. Thank God I had a wife who was wise. And that God gave me a little bit of sense to listen to her at least once in a while. That's not the gift of somebody else. It wouldn't work anyway. <laughs> she just told me to shut up, so I'll move on. It's what we're there for each other for, really. Really, to help each other in Christ, to see ourselves clearly. It's the real purpose of marriage, to become one so that you can see the one in them. That was free. Okay, this actually happened twice this week. So I'm going to read you just a little bit of Martin Lloyd-Jones this morning about this issue and about whether you're saying, go ahead and do whatever you want. Because <clears throat> in midweek, I got charged with this. And then this morning I found out there's another, not a charge, but an indication that we are that kind of church. So this is the kind of church we are. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes in his introduction to Romans, the true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of the charge of, that's being brought against it here. There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might understand it, uh, misunderstand it, and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this, that because you are saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will, re <coughs> it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. <clears throat> this is a very good test of the gospel and a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation did not expose it to this misunderstanding, then it is not the gospel. Everybody's welcome, saint and sinner. 
Everybody gets the same amount of grace, saint and sinner. Everybody can be here, even if you're sinning. Because there's only one thing that can deal with sin, and that's the gospel of grace. So everybody's welcome. And if there's any charge that I'm telling any of you, well, that means you can do whatever you want, may it never be. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying everybody's welcome here because there's not one sin he would withhold himself from forgiving. Not one. Not from the littlest you cheated on your taxes last year to you're living in immorality right now. So you can't be here. I want to say what Paul would have said. May it never be. That particular misunderstanding, he writes, can only arise when the doctrine of the justification only is presented. There is only one thing that can make you right, and that's the incorruptible seed of Christ. It's the only thing that gets you in. It's the only thing that moves you on. There is a sense in which the doctrine of justification by faith only is a very dangerous doctrine. I mean in the sense that it can be misunderstood. It exposes a man to this particular charge. People listening to it may say, ah, there is a man who does not encourage us to live a good life. He seems to say that there's no value in our works. He says that all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Therefore, what he is saying is that it does not matter what you do. Sin as much as you like. There is thus clearly a sense in which the message of justification by faith only can be dangerous. And likewise, with the message that salvation is entirely of grace, dangerous. I say, therefore, if our preaching does not expose us to that charge, that misunderstanding, it is because we are not really preaching the gospel. I have, and I'm still willing, and I would like you to be willing to pay that price. I met with a guy this week who's had massive amounts of struggle. He's a believer, loves Jesus with his whole heart, one of the brightest men I've ever known in my life. I love talking with him and everything. He's He's had mistakes and issues. Now he doesn't feel like he can go anyplace. He doesn't feel like there's any place that he's welcome. So he said, so what if I uh, came to New Day? He said, I don't care. He went, what? He said, I, I, I don't care. He started laughing. He said, I've never heard a preacher say that. I said, well, it means I don't care. I'm not saying I don't care about you. I'm saying, I don't, I don't care if you come here. It, you're welcome to come here or you're welcome not to come here. That's not an issue for me. I'll come be with you and hang out with you or you can come to church. You, you want to be here? Be here. It's okay. It's okay. I can no longer successfully play the elder brother in the story of what they call the prodigal son story. I can't do that anymore. I want all the sons to come in, both the elder brothers 
and the younger ones that are foolish. They're welcome here. pages to read, but for the sake of time, I won't this morning. We'll read them next week. I hope you're enjoying this man. Listen, I I don't venerate him only in the sense of, man, I have not known anyone that had a sharper understanding and insight into the book of Romans than Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's not the only one I've read on it. I've read six to eight other teachers regarding Romans. He has such a clear understanding of how to go after these issues, and instead of separating all of it, he brings it all together. Therein is the glory of Romans. Paul was given a gift to bring this all together instead of separating it into little component parts. And if you separate it into little component parts, you are going to fall into error. Misunderstand, just like it can be misunderstood. When we separate that out, we misunderstand it. I'm willing to bear that charge. Have. And it's okay. I don't know what it's like, but letting my mask on. I haven't always liked it. Not with what I heard people say that Lloyd said. Lloyd said you can. No, he didn't. Listen, if you sin, it will have an effect. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. But listen, you violate moral laws, it will eat your life up. You'll feel, you'll feel guilty because that's not who you are. You'll walk in shame because you know what's going on and you really want to talk to somebody about it, but you don't have enough courage to talk because there's nobody just willing to listen. At least that's the lie you tell yourself. And the other thing is it hurts other people. Is God upset with you? No, but it can hurt his heart. You're his kid. There is such a thing as grieving the Holy Spirit. Oh, does that condemn you then? No. The word grieve means I'm grieving for you. You ever grieved for the loss of somebody? You ever grieved what your child did? Those of you that have children. Did they quit being your child? You just didn't like their behavior. It grieved your heart. It hurt. I think you can hurt God's heart. But I think don't think you can stop the incorruptible seed who will keep coming back to you with love and mercy. Where can I go from your spirit, God? If I go to the highest mountain, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you ever made your bed in hell? been a believer and made your bed in hell? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> not here to shame anybody. Well, we all have different versions of hell that we've made our bed in. Can't believe I did that. I know, that's absurd, isn't it? May it never be. But thanks be to God for his way of returning Sin shall have dominion no more forever. (laughs) Died once for sin for all. Is there 
just ask yourself, I, I think it was on a post on Facebook, I think a couple of people have quoted, but are you running to the Lord or away from him? Lord, I pray that in our hearts right now, we would begin to live in the glorious gospel and that I would generate that kind of life out of my words and attitudes towards everyone. Help me, God. Oh, help me. Help me first to clothe myself in Christ. Help me first to see myself in how and what I me have the wow or I, or I, I just want to sing that Beck song to myself like wow help me to see that and then let me see the wow of others help us Holy Spirit if you help with anything don't help me be a corrector help me to be a light bringer of us, for any that are wrestling this morning with issues that they can't talk to anybody about, I pray that the incorruptible seed that is in them be drawn to the light that they would talk with you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for being in us. Thank you for never giving up never casting aside and never letting go. Oh no, he never let go. In Jesus' name, now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hug a saint.